And everyone is paying attention to Kobe Bryant. They start with Shaq. He gives it to Walton. Here comes Kobe. Less than five from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! With 2.1. Kobe Bryant has it. Whatever that it is, Al, he has it. He has the ability to make big shots. Azubuki kept it alive, but Kobe with the rebound. Warriors cannot buy a triple. Kobe Wheeling. What a play to turn off. And the foul. How you doing? What's going on? Everything all right? Everything's yep. good, man. Enjoying retirement? Is it fun? I'm enjoying retirement. I mean, I know you're doing a lot of other things, but yeah. but it's fun. Gotcha. I'll get a chance to watch the game. From yeah, you're coaching. Yeah, I am coaching. So How many games in a row would the Lakers have to lose for you to unretire? For you to come back to the team? <laughs> If we got to 20, you would think about it, right? Hey, let's go 0-5, I think. You will think about it, huh? Here we got a good change of direction by Brian. Slam dunk. There will be no charge because the man's in that new painted imaginary circle. I think that's what the fans came to see. And you talk about elevation. Chick, he went up to the rafters before he decided to put somebody on a poster. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Tampering, the Athletics NBA Insider Podcast. This is Joe Varden. I am joined today by my co-host and friend and colleague, Sam Amick, uh, who is on the ground in Los Angeles, as well as the Athletics Los Angeles Laker beat reporter, Bill Oram. Gentlemen, hello. Um, you know, here we are. Yeah. Hey, Joe. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, this, I mean, you guys, uh, many of the, our listeners know how this show goes. Uh, we usually spend the first couple of minutes cracking jokes and talking about what we do and see on the road. And today, um, nobody's in the mood for that. Um, we're about 20, a little bit more than 24 hours, uh, have passed since the, uh, tragic death of Kobe Bryant, uh, and his daughter. And, uh, we're here to sit down and, and talk about that. Um, all three of us have written Instead things. Our, I, I feel like, sorry, Joe, yeah, I okay. just was interjecting. I think I'd be remiss if we didn't, we didn't say seven others, uh, obviously nine people total on that helicopter. Just a, just a tragic day. Yeah. It's, um, it's just it's tough to comprehend and, and, and tough to swallow. Um, you know, Bill, I mean, I think, you know, as you're with, with your job as the Laker beat writer, um, you threw up a couple hundred words uh, to tell our, our uh, customers what happened and then came back late in the evening um, with a very heartfelt kind of first person column um, about how Kobe uh, affected your career and and and. Um, what was that like for you to sit down and, and write what you wrote last night? There was a lot of grief um, associated with yesterday. Uh, Kobe Bryant was, um, you know, in so many ways larger than life. And and in Los Angeles, particularly, I mean, he achieved this this level of being an icon that was really beyond anything anyone else had had achieved in LA. And that's saying something here. Um, you know, it's the city of stars. And Kobe was... Um, chief among them and to try to just you know come up with something new to say about him or something meaningful when um everyone was experiencing grief in their own way i i, I don't really know um I, I don't i don't know it just was it was it was a surreal and kind of out of body experience to sit down and just try to share some of my thoughts about what he had meant and what um and what his legacy was um you know for me i was a young NBA beat writer when I got the job in LA and the way it was pitched to me was, you know, come cover, you know, Kobe's third act. 
you know, cover his recovery from the Achilles. That was when I got here in, in 2013. And, you know, I saw him up close at a very, uh, very strange time in his career where he was largely rehabbing. He was uh, mostly, um, you know, sidelined. He played 101 games after I became the beat writer, which, um, you know, was obviously a very small, small and I mean, honestly, mostly insignificant chapter in his career. But to watch, you know, him grind and fight to be on the court, to be able to prove that he could still do it, that that, you know, he could still play at a high level. Um, you know, he had he had that mission and that mindset. I mean, obviously, we talk about the Mamba mentality all the time, but that was to me when it was really fully on display. Um, the Lakers were bad. You know, a lot of Kobe's efforts were for not. But to watch him in that time was inspiring in its own way. And, you know, in, in that process, you get to know the person a little bit. Um, you know, I, I don't claim to have been, you know, as close to Kobe as, as, as some, I, you know, I think, you know, Sam obviously had a great relationship with him, others in LA media and nationally, but, you know, we had our moments and, and, you know, those are the things that you cling to in a situation like this, where, you know, you can kind of, you know, think of, you know, the, the memories that, that make you smile when it feels like you, you can't otherwise, um, you know, find anything good. And that was sort of what drove me to write the column. Uh, I, two things for me guys to, to paint the picture real quick for the listeners for one, because I think by the time people hear this podcast, you know, the level of Grief might be reaching a point that is, is extremely tough uh, for the fans over the course of days. So I will I will tease with this. I think on the back end, I would like to share a few memories about Kobe that are more light. Uh, and so stay tuned for that. Um, Bill and I, Joe, yesterday we were texting during this writing process. And the disclaimer here is, listen, nobody on this podcast or at this company is ever going to try to act like we're out here digging ditches. We, we are blessed to have these jobs. Um, but I will say they don't get much tougher than yesterday. Um, I'm texting bill saying, listen, Kobe's got a 13 year old daughter that hits me. I have a 13 year old son. Um, journalistically we had things to take care of. Uh, I mean, my column in particular, one of the discussions we had internally was in the interest of, you know, of, of integrity journalistically and objectivity. Uh, there's certainly stuff from Kobe's past that had to be acknowledged, had to be discussed a little bit and specifically, you know, the 2003 Ville Colorado situation when he was alleged of rape, um, processing things like that, doing it with any sort of, you know, deft touch when the, the, the overwhelming reaction is, is just human. It's not professional. Um, I mean, I walked into, my family room, I'm in the front office. I see an alert uh, internally that we have now created a Kobe Bryant situation room. That's just a very general thing that when a story breaks, we now need to talk about coverage. That's the first time I saw, I, what do you mean? What is this room for? And I saw what was in there. That's how I found out. I walked to the other room, my wife's sitting on the couch and I thought about this today. I sat there and tried to tell her what happened and I remember thinking to myself that even though I feel as if, you know, like an incredible amount of grief, I actually was cognizant of I didn't want to to deliver that information to her in the kind of way that, that might lead her to think that, you know, one of my siblings had possibly passed or something like like I was moderating my own delivery and just trying to figure out where does this fall for me? And, and those are the types of things you're working through. And then it's like. Oh, by the way, hug your two sons and then get back in the office and get to work. Um, it was not easy. It, it was, and hopefully the readers glean something from all of our coverage. Um, but you know, those memories will never go away. And, and right now, guys, as you know, I flew to LA this morning, this trip was actually, uh, already planned before Kobe and his daughter. And then the rest of the folks in the helicopter passed away, but to be here now to have gotten on a plane and flown in this morning and literally just it brought a whole new meaning to when those wheels hit down and we were safe, you know, of course that's where your mind goes. Um, you know, and driving around town and seeing the Kobe jerseys that are certainly everywhere right now, you know, the word surreal comes to mind, uh, but just an incredible 24 hours. My access into this story and to Kobe and to the whole thing 
is the same, and it's basically through the eyes of the next class of of NBA superstars, um, particularly LeBron and and Kyrie, uh, just because of of um, all of our roots in Cleveland, but. When I came into the league in 2014, um, Kobe was about done. You know, it was the year after I guess Bill started in, in LA, but, but Kobe was, was kind of, uh, on the way out. And I think, I mean, he was hurt either for one or both of the games against the Cavs in 14, 15, but 15, 16, he was healthy. And, um, at that time though, I remember being shocked really stunned at how many players even then counted Kobe as a mentor um they all called him an idol yes but then but it was beyond that and whether it was somebody like a lebron whose stated favorite player was michael but really i mean he counted kobe right up there with him and it wasn't just those two it was you know kevin durant uh huge uh, follower of of Kobe and and Kawhi Leonard and you could talk to Steph Curry and you can talk to I mean you could just go on and on down the line and so you know uh, I was supposed to be in Philadelphia on Saturday anyway just um, to do my first thoughts column off of a big game and it just happened just total uh, coincidence it happened to be um, the the night that LeBron uh, who you know. I mean, LeBron is the central figure of my NBA journalistic career, passing Kobe Bryant for third on the all-time scoring list. So Kobe was already in the discussion. I mean, he, he's all anybody was thinking about and talking about, him and LeBron. And LeBron, of course, did it and paid homage to Kobe on his shoes before the game, knowing he was going to pass him, and then spoke so eloquently about their relationship and basically – in in almost a, a veiled shot at at Michael, thanked Kobe for recognizing LeBron and for welcoming LeBron and and embracing him. Um, as time wore on, uh, that, that actually was not the relationship at the beginning of LeBron's career, but um, thanking him for that, uh, basically because Kobe. That was who Kobe had become in the NBA, and Michael never had. And so, just to have all this and to have LeBron saying what he said, and then to land in Cleveland after the assignment, get to my house and then check my phone. And yeah, uh, there's the situation room and people are starting to talk on Twitter. It just, I was numb. I, I, I just, I couldn't, you know, I almost kind of like floated through my story just because I, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, we were just talking about this man, uh, you know, the night before for something really cool. And now, I mean, to have this, I, you know, you, you really don't know um, it's almost like you, you don't know what to say or even how to process it. Um, but obviously we're talking about one of the, uh, one of the greatest NBA players of all time, whose legacy is not just who he was as a player, uh, a killer mentality, five-time champion, um, but somebody who, unlike some of the stars before him had, had built bridges so that everybody else coming in his footsteps could rely on him. Joe, a little bit to your point, and, and Bill, I'm going to throw it to you up this alley as well. Um, today at the airport, uh, and this is, listen, I know when people pass, we tend to look at the, the world around us and filter things in a very different light. And, and Bill, you wrote about this a little bit and how within the past week or so, uh, and I have it in front of me, that you know some of these moments that were Kobe-related that happened recently, you said, quote, those moments from recent days now feel like the universe was screaming at us grabbing us by the hair and pleading, remember this man, take this moment to appreciate him. He won't be here much longer. Um, today I'm at the airport and of all people to run into, uh, it's a, a friend of mine who was essentially, uh, one of the best basketball players on the Sacramento state basketball team that I covered really heavily when I was in college. And a guy who I have kind of kept in touch with over the years, uh, named Joe Seth Dawson, great guy. And he works for Southwest. So he is you know, at the airport every so often. Joe Seth, and I chatted and he said something that really hit me that when Kobe passed, and this is, I mean, this is a, a guy who was really good at, you know, a division one, double a college basketball, but he's a basketball player. And he's one of the millions of basketball players who looked up to Kobe. And he said that when he heard the news and when his phone rang and it was one of his old teammates from that, you know, 1998 college team or whatever it might've been, 
that, that, you know, the teammate on the other end of the line cried. And these are not men who knew Kobe. These are not men. And you talked about the sports side of it and the competitor side of it. And I, I was kind of trying to even learn more about why it hit them the way it did. And he talked about the fact that, you know, when you are trying to be your best on a basketball court, there are only so many examples that you gravitate towards when it comes to that mentality. Now, listen, Mamba mentality has become, it's a marketing term. It's all these things, but it is at its core. It's a real thing. The way this dude competed was next level. And, and so, you know, his passing hits everybody differently. You have the fatherhood aspect that I kind of referenced. You have uh, all the layers that come with it, but it is incredible to me that, and, and Bill, I guess, pick it up from here is, is all these different things that happened within the past couple of days, LeBron passing Kobe and Kobe's hometown on the scoring list and all the way down the line. I mean, some of this stuff is wild. Yeah. I mean, uh, at Madison square garden the other night, uh, Dwight Howard finally, um, talked about, uh, accepting an invitation to the dunk contest, something he had previously denied at the league's behest. And, um, you know, he kind of volunteered that he wanted Kobe Bryant to, um, to come give him an assist on the court. Now, you know, I think he was joking and I think we all thought the, the chances of that were pretty slim, but it was just another moment where it felt like, you know, something was kind of unexpectedly becoming about Kobe, this guy who, you know, while he is always kind of part of the Lakers um, dialogue and certainly um, I mean, quite literally hangs over the, the organization in, in the form of, you know, championship banners and his retired jerseys. But his presence just always has loomed large, particularly since, you know, he was the face of the team the last time the team really achieved great success. And and it just the timing was so serendipitous that um, he would be on our minds um, so heavily and then have this happen. Uh, it it. it it was not something I believed, you know, I don't think any of us did. You see the, you, you know, you, you see the initial news report and people, you know, basically hopping on Twitter to plead for it to be not true. Um, it just, it, it was, it was really surreal because, you know, I, I think I called him larger than life. And, you know, in so many ways, you know, he was, I mean, he wasn't just a, a man, he was a, you know, he was this, icon and Titan and mogul. And he meant so much to so many people, people who weren't even Lakers fans in terms of his, his influence, um, you know, beyond basketball, the, the, the way that he, I think had become this great advocate for, for women's basketball and, you know, what his influence, um, there might have eventually been, obviously we'll never know, but, um, he'd become this great, um, admirer and supporter of the WNBA. And obviously, you know, um, the tragic uh, other element of this story is is Gigi, who seems to be well on her way to, um, you know, kind of continuing his legacy as a basketball player. Um, it it just it, it strike it just it just hits you in so many different ways. And I, I've been struck today um, just by the number of people I've interacted with on Twitter or in person. Um, people I didn't know were basketball fans, or people I don't necessarily think of as sports fans, who. Are, are grieving. Um, and I think, you know, I think it, it's the fragility of life. It's the loss of, um, a child. It's a family left behind. I mean, Sam, you talked about your relationship with your, with your sons, Joe, I know you're a father. Um, yesterday, you know, I have a two year old son who like I had to explain this to, and like I had to explain why it mattered. And I had to explain why, you know, Kobe meant something to me. And then I had to try to sit down and write it, you know, kind of for the masses. And I was struggling with it. And, you know, when I'm writing, like, I really don't like to be taken out of that work headspace. And my son, you know, kind of came in and, you know, was kind of climbing on me. He's like, daddy, push me on the swing. And, you know, normally it's like, you know, I can't now I can't, you know, like daddy needs to work. And yesterday I was just like, yeah, like, let's, let's go outside. I'm going to push you on the swing because, because that moment just felt much more valuable than it might have on a, on a different day. Bill, I, I have to share with you, because this is a little bit of levity. Um, our 10-year-old took a much more of an interest in my coverage yesterday than ever. Really, he's never, you know, he's, he does not have the athletic app on his uh, his iPod. You know, and, and yesterday he actually downloaded it and he wanted to better understand kind of why the whole world was seemingly stopping. Um, the part that did make me laugh a little bit is he, he gets on there and he read your news story and he knows, I guess the, the context here is that 
you know, Bill and I obviously are very good friends. And so my 10 year old knows you. And, uh, and he said to me, he goes, daddy, you could tell Bill had to really get that story up quick. Didn't he? It was, it was pretty short and he had to be fast. <laughs> I was like, yes, buddy, you're right. That's how it goes. Well, if he goes but back I mean, and looks at it now, he won't think that anymore. You know, getting bigger that and bigger. So, so many times right. over the course of the day, it's thousands of words long now. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, if you guys are okay with it, we should, uh, you know, I, it's one thing to just process all the emotions and figure out how this, this hits everybody. It's another, we have unique access to athletes in general. And then Kobe was as big as they, they came. Um, I, I feel like sharing a few stories and I'm going to take a cue from our friend and colleague, you know, Marcus Thompson wrote such a great column today where he had a line saying that, that he was writing this for himself to get it out of him. And, and so I'm going to kind of use our podcast a little bit in that form and, and hope that you guys uh, feel like chiming in. But I, I put a list together on the, the flight down here of just thoughts and memories that came to mind. One of them, and we can bounce around, but one of them that, that kind of reminded me how long I'd been around this guy uh, is that when I was the Kings beat writer at the Sacramento Bee, and it's long enough ago that some of these details admittedly are a little bit fuzzy, but I had kind of a cool experience where at that time, Kobe was mostly a distant figure who I covered because I was a beat writer for just the Kings. And obviously the Kings would play the Lakers four times a year. And um, at one point, a Kings fan had reached out to me and I don't remember the specifics of this young boy's illness, but bottom line, he was a Kings fan who loved Kobe and asked if I could help connect him with Kobe. And one of those things where at that point in my career, I didn't know a, is that professional? Like, should I be playing this type of a role? And I, I just decided to err on the side of, you know, person first and professional, you know, I mean, you find a balance there. And, and I reached out to Kobe's people and I was just ecstatic and, and really surprised that they were extremely receptive at that time. And next thing you know, when the Kings played the Lakers, there was this cool moment where I watched with my own eyes, this little boy get to meet his idol, get to have some sneakers signed. He's in a wheelchair. It's making his day. I hate to admit, I, I, you know, I didn't know this family. I don't know kind of what happened from there, but I know that for that night and that, that one moment, it was special. And that was the first time that I, you know, that was a very positive uh, Kobe memory where you look at it and say, you know, he didn't have to do that. And, and uh, there's a lot more where that came from, but you know, it just, it just, it's being in this guy's space for this long, um, seeing all the different sides of him. He could be short in media settings. If you asked a question, he didn't like, he would look at you like you were just putting lasers through you. Um, you know, if he liked your question and, and it was inquisitive, he would kind of reward you for that. If you wanted to talk to him a little longer and he, he felt that it was genuine enough, he would walk with you to the loading dock and, and kind of add to your story and help you understand, you know, his team and his mentality and, his insights and all those things. Uh, he was an extremely interesting dude to cover uh, who, who kind of, he, he respected what we did and he was engaged in the process. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that all rings really true to me, Sam. Um, you know, I, Kobe, I think enjoyed the, 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 the jousting as much as any athlete I've covered where, um, particularly with those of us who were around on a regular basis, he would, he would absolutely play the game. And I think you said reward you for a good question, but he was not afraid to challenge you to be better if you have a bad question. And I included this in the story I wrote today, but I was out at a, a Kobe event just a couple weeks ago, 12 days ago. Um, he was, uh, announcing a partnership between major league soccer and body armor, um, the sports drink he invested in very early on and that made him a very, 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 very wealthy man. Um, again, um, and, and there was kind of a scrum of people asking lots of questions about soccer and his childhood in Italy and, um, Chicharito probably coming to the LA galaxy. And, and somebody said, we are obviously here at the, um, um, at the at the home of LAFC, uh, do you have a favorite LA team, LAFC or LA Galaxy? And Kobe just, you know, it did repulsed by the question and just looks at the guy <laughs> and goes, come on, man, ask a better question. Come on, you're better than that. And and like and, and this reporter, it's like just like completely, you know, reduced to like a little like 
two foot lawn gnome by the by the interaction. <laughs> but like I've seen it so many times. It you know Kobe Kobe knows better than to, to than to pick a side in Galaxy LAFC because. Those are consumers. Those are people who he needs on his side. So obviously it made sense for him to play the middle. And, you know, that was his that was his trick to get out of having to answer the question. And I'd seen it um, again so many times. But I really uh, um, it just uh, it was it for me. It was it was good to get to see him one more time and kind of see him in his element, um, you know, kind of. jousting with media and, 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 you know, doing interviews and it just kind of, you know, that was kind of where I always, that was, that was where I interfaced with him in most of those years was, was, was kind of in that setting. And so it was, um, it's now bittersweet that I was able to do that one more time. My favorite anecdote from, uh, from Bill's story was, I I think Bill, it might've been your first day on the job or your first game, something like that. And, and you tried to introduce yourself to him and he said, Oh, I know who you are. Um, and that kind of spoke to the awareness that he had for everybody around him and, and including, um, beat reporters. And I think he, like Michael before him and then LeBron after him sort of recognized the importance that that having a relationship with the people who covered him on a daily basis could have in in you know not not only his immediate reputation or wielding any power that he wanted to wield over an organization or throughout a league but also in helping him build his legacy and you know, I, I mean, Michael used to do those kinds of things with Michael Wilbon and and Sam Smith and Tony Kornheiser and th- those types. And then you know, Kobe obviously had the same kinds of relationships on a daily basis, going all the way back to Howard Beck and Kevin Ding and J. A. Adonde and Tim Brown and um, and now LeBron, you know, had some of the same things in in Cleveland, certainly. Um, and so you always appreciate that. You appreciate it when there is maybe it's just because of what of you know what we do for a living, but you I really appreciate it when uh, when an athlete is savvy enough and smart enough to know the advantages of striking up that that kind of relationship. Um, and I just remember you know thinking kind of along those same things and sort of also what Sam was talking about. Kobe was in China for the FIBA World Cup and they brought him out for a press conference. And so this was in September, I think. I think this is when we were in Beijing. And, uh, and for something like that, um, all the, the foreign journalists, or foreign to me anyway, were, they're all going to say, Kobe, what do you think of Greece? What do you think of, uh, Turkey? And just every country that's there, like somebody's reporter is going to say that. Um, but then when uh, there were a couple of questions from American writers and and I was asking him, you know, to assess, I mean, this Team USA, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to finish seventh uh, worst ever. And um, and and I and you could just tell that he wanted to talk about something real. Um, and that just kind of sparked that kind of reminded me of what you were talking about, Sam. Yeah. And I mean, that is like you said, that's what we do. And so we're a little subjective in that regard. But um you know, it gives me flashbacks to when I switched jobs from that beat writing gig with the Kings to AOL fan house in 2010, first time covering the whole league. You know, I had never covered the playoffs in any sort of deep run and, and watching Kobe and the rapport that he had with at the time, you know, there was Ken Berger of CBS sports, you know, good friend. And, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski, who at the time was Yahoo sports. Woj, man, he knew, whose voices mattered in the media. And he was very savvy and he knew, I mean, there were times when if he had a message to get through to a teammate, you know, he would, he, he was not above manipulating the media and, 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 and kind of a, I scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of way because he's extremely intelligent and journalist, I guess sports writing wise, journalistically, those were like, I was cutting my teeth trying to figure out how this worked. How do you tell a different story? How do you catch the guy outside of the locker room? What, what, what compels, a player of Kobe's stature to stop when he's on the way to the car because he's not obligated to anymore. And now it's about your dynamic with him. Now it's about your demeanor, your body language. Do you have something to say in that moment or are you wasting his time? And man, those, you know, he, for me was the poster boy for that, you know, that kind of part of the job. Um, Now what, what was a joy 
for me was that I do, I mean, as much as I covered him in depth uh, when he played, I, I felt like I certainly got to know him much better after he retired and had a couple of project type things I did where we connected for either long, long phone conversations or in person. We did one sit down interview in Orange County at one of his offices for over an hour. Uh, and I remember it was a, a big get for me. I went all, you know, went to LA for the sole purpose of sitting down with Kobe um, to talk about a lot of his post playing ventures. And on the day of the interview, you know, it's the only thing I'm down here for, uh, I'm ready to roll. I'm, you know, waiting by the office and I get a call that he's got a cold and that he doesn't know if he's going to make it. And I forget who I was dealing with. as kind of a middle person, but you know, I made the message kind of clear, like, this is the only reason I'm here. And to his credit, he basically, you know, dragged his ass out of bed, shows up in sweats, wiping his nose. It was good enough to, to not have my entire road trip be wasted <laughs> and sat down and gave me over an hour. And, and I want to go back and pull that story up, you know, to kind of refresh. I don't remember everything we got into, but you know, the more recently, um, this is a fun one from just a couple of days ago. It's heartbreaking because he's gone, but Mark Medina at, at USA today has got my old job and, and Mark, I believe, and Bill, you would know this. I, I think Mark might've had the last sit down video type interview with Kobe, um, before he passed and they got together and Kobe says to Mark, he says, Hey, how's the new job going? What does it entail? You know, uh, just kind of break it down for me. And Mark is being kind of self-effacing and he, he says, Oh, I'm, I'm a poor man, Sam Amick now. And he goes, I don't know why, but Kobe thought it was hilarious, laughed his ass off, you know, and that speaks to the, Joe, the stuff you said, like he knew, you know, he knew who everybody was. He actually, you know, paid attention to that media world around him. I think it impacted the storytelling, um, you know, and it's definitely unique. So Kobe, he was 41. Um, I'll be 40 in September. He, so when he went, when he made the jump from high school to the NBA, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that would have been entering my senior year. So, so like you, I'm just one of millions of kids from that, that era that could, that, that looked up to him for doing that, even though we were roughly the same age and just trying to imagine what that would be like. One of his great moments from his rookie year, of course, was winning the slam dunk contest here in Cleveland. Um, and, and just, you know, I mean, since we're just kind of chewing the fat and talking about our, our perceptions of Kobe, I was always a Kobe man over Shaq. And I think it was because Kobe was what six, six compared to Shaq being seven, whatever, and weighing whatever he weighed. Like I, I'm much smaller than Kobe, but I was going to say, can I just chime in yeah. and talk about the, 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 how amusing I find it that you found a six, six man to be relatable. No, but just in the, in the same, like he's, I just feel like it's the same. I mean, it's like one of the same reasons why Steph is so relatable. Like, the smaller you are, you can just, sure. you know, you can, you could say, okay, well maybe I could do something like this. So maybe like from Kobe's perspective, it was like, wow, here's a teenager going to the NBA and doing what he's doing. Like it just seems to like open up all those doors. But the thing that I loved about him throughout his career was the, mon the maniacal win at all costs attitude that, that he took. And it's like the kind of thing, like when you talk about Mamba mentality and you're right, it is, it's marketed now to the nth degree. Um, but if you are wired that way, I mean, if you're, if you're someone who just values, like, I guess the bottom line or sort of the winning, no matter what it's so, I mean, he just, he epitomized that in a way that nobody else has other than Michael. And like, I'm leading this up to I think probably my favorite story with Kobe was just we were in L.A. Uh, with the Cavs and my God, he he is doing his media circuit because, you know, this is the last time he plays against LeBron at Staples Center. But he says every team needs a lightning rod and LeBron is not that guy. Uh, he said LeBron is um, – he wants to be every – he wants to be a great teammate. He is a great teammate and obviously he's an amazing player, but he is not the guy who will start the controversy. And he said maybe that's Kyrie. Well, I mean he had actually counseled Kyrie to be that guy, to be someone who – because this is what was needed in Kobe's opinion – was someone who will cause controversy in your locker room if you don't have it. 
uh, basically to be a shit stirrer, which he said and felt you need if you are a good team trying to be great. Like you need to light fires in your room, in your locker room, so you can try to put them out. So he would uh, call that the culture of conflict. Like that, that he was a huge believer in that, hundred percent. He wasn't. <laughs> the thing about it was is he wasn't exactly right about LeBron. He he was right from the perspective of LeBron does care what you think of him. He wants people to like him. But he also would do shit like, you know, put tweets out about like Kevin Love or something like that. But he but he was never he he never had that same like I don't know, crazy person or maniacal whatever you want to say. Like he was never quite like Kobe was in that regard and even how I guess you could say Kyrie is now. Um, but it, I just have to say, I mean, that was almost the thing that I admired about Kobe was just his public and just willful to the last second of any game, any practice, any any season, his defiance um, to like fall in line. Like he was going to do it his way. Well, so perfect segue, guys, because the, the post-playing stuff – and, and the way he functioned off the, the court after retiring, it I just used to find it hilarious that he was just the same guy in a different arena, wired the same exact way. So that interview I mentioned earlier, the long one at his office in Orange County, and it came back to me a second ago. You guys remember the uh, the Muse documentary that he did for Showtime? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so he does this documentary, and that's what we were there to talk about that day. It's a deep dive on his entire career and his life. Um you know, and, and he's certainly driving the ship in terms of the editorial content in that doc. Well, they 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 went through months and months and months of production, countless interviews. They get Jeannie Buss, they get Phil Jackson, they get you know all the way down the line. Uh, you know, they obviously occupy people's time to get different perspective on Kobe's story, and they're getting essentially to like the ten yard line, so to speak, of finishing this documentary. And Kobe sits down to see what he thinks of, of where it stands, uh, you know, as part of the creative process. And he watches this thing and he essentially says, no, I don't like it. I, I'm not digging it. They're almost done. This thing's like they have a production timeline. They have a deadline. They've got a screening schedule that, that I ultimately went to, uh, you know, in Hollywood. And Kobe scraps the entire project. Say so you know, cuts everything out. And I'm talking all the stuff on the cutting room floor is all those interviews where people got in their car, stopped their day, went to go talk about Kobe out of respect for him. He puts it all in the trash can. And then what ultimately became of that doc, if you remember, was a first person narrated, narrated Kobe talking about Kobe. And I actually, I thought it was great. Not everybody liked it critically. Uh, but it was just the same thing he did on the damn basketball court. Like, no, I don't like this play. Give me the ball. And I'm going to go win the thing. And, you know, that's how he was. And it was a lot of fun to see him find himself creatively in the entertainment space, in the, you know, the writing space from children's books, you know, to, to movies, to everything else that he was doing with his Granity studio. Um, I, I was admittedly just endlessly fascinated just by his brain in that workspace. It was wild. I want to. I think both of you were there um, for his final game. If I'm, I'm, I'm sure Bill was. Sam, were you there? I was not. I made the. Now it seems to be the wrong decision to uh, to cover the Warriors' seventy third win. Ah, God, yeah. What a crazy night. Yeah, they. I, I remember that, and I just remember. Um, I remember the the Cavs finished the regular season at home and just all 15 of their guys were glued to the TV after their game. I have no idea who they played. Don't remember. Um, but I just remember standing there like with all those, all the players just watching Kobe. But I wanted to, um, you know, Bill, what are your memories from that night? I mean, this final game at Staples Center goes off into the sunset with 60 unfathomable. The thing about his last game that you know stands out is just the amount of anticipation there was for it. I mean, there was this incredible countdown where, you know, I remember you know his last road trip and it was you know, his last time in in Oklahoma City. I think was the was the penultimate game, and you kind of just were watching, you know, kind of everything was building up to this moment, April thirteenth, two thousand sixteen, and it was 
you know, I, I, I probably got there at like 2 PM or something like that. You know, generally we get to the arena, you know, the home coach will talk to the media an hour and a half before the game. I think I was there. I was certainly, um, there a full, uh, you know, two hours before that, uh, he wanted to be there for the moment that Kobe arrived. And, um, I just remember it was the first time that they basically corralled the media off to the side of the area where players and would enter, um, would enter the arena and other players would walk through guys. Carlos Boozer was on that team. I think Brandon Bass was on that team and guys would walk by. And then finally, you know, here, you know, two hours before tip off, you know, Kobe walks in and, um, you know, flash bulbs and just, and, and just, you know, just hundreds and hundreds of reporters. And somebody said, you know, Kobe, are you, um, you know, what are you looking forward to about this game? And he just said, just, just, just have fun. And then, and then you go out to the court and there were, um, celebrities packed upon celebrities on the court, celebrities standing three deep, um, you know, people that I had never really seen at Lakers games, uh, people I didn't know were basketball fans, um, you know, all there kind of for that moment. It was one of the most star studded, certainly the most star studded event I've ever, um, seen. Uh, and that's again, saying something in LA. And then it just, it had this feeling like he was either going to do something truly, truly, truly remarkable, or he was going to miss just every shot. And I'd have to go back and look at my notes, but I think he ended up missing like his first six shots, maybe his first eight shots. And you kind of had this feeling like, oh, no, is he going to actually, you know, have a bad night in his final game? Because keep in mind, like, I mean, you know, he's averaged like 18 points a game. I think that last year. And that's for a guy who was going out and shooting the ball and a ton. He was um, he was uh, hoisting, you know, shot after shot after shot. He was um, he was, uh, you know, shooting five three pointers to start games. It was just a um, yeah. everybody thought he might embarrass himself. Yeah. It's kind of that you sense, know. just always, yeah. always kind of hanging over the season. And then all of a sudden shots start going in and then more shots are going in. And then all of a sudden he's on a heater and you think, Man, is he going to score 30 in his last game? Is he going to score 40? And then all of a sudden he, bl- he blasts past 50 and you start thinking 60. It was, it was just remarkable. And then obviously, you know, he takes the, he takes the mic and, you know, mop out, you know, as he's, you know, covered in yellow confetti. And if you guys remember, they had, um, done a special court that night that had 24 on one corner and eight on the other. And so Kobe does his media in the, in his uniform, he's drenched in champagne jokes about how he, um, about how he, you know, was annoyed that they, they drenched him in champagne because that was only for championships. And then we all, I remember we were all waiting. The media was waiting kind of at the end of the hallway for Kobe to walk out for him to leave. And we were kind of cordoned off. And finally somebody goes, well, he's on the court. And so, you know, you go the long way back out onto the arena floor at Staples center. And lo and behold, Kobe's just standing on at center court with Vanessa. And then at, the, at that time they had two daughters. Vanessa was pregnant with their third Bianca. And, um, and Kobe was just, not leaving. I mean, that's just what I'll always remember about that night is that he would not leave. I mean, he probably stayed out there for an extra hour. Um, he signed the court. Those were later auctioned off. Um, and then he just, then he just stood around and talked to people like people, you know, everybody, the media who was there, who'd covered him for a long time, you know, took a second to you know shake his hands and, and just say, you know, thank you. It was a pleasure covering you. Um, I remember Jay Adonde walked up to him and, you know, they, they, they joked about something. And then, and Jay said, I just have to say 50 shots, Kobe. <laughs> He's like, what position do I play? Shooting guard. What is the first half of that position? Shooting. I'm going to shoot the damn ball. Like he said that so many times. Um, and when it was my turn, I, you know, I, I wrote this in, in the story today, but I mean, it's not really a secret about me that I'm, I'm from Oregon. I was raised a fan of the trailblazers and, um, you know, there was some tough days in the early 2000s when uh, the, the Blazers just couldn't get through the Lakers and famously game seven of the 2000 Western Conference finals. And Kobe knew that. But I, I said I told him that night I was like, I was like, man, you, you know, you ruined my childhood. Right. And he looks at me and he just goes, well, we may never forgive, but we'll always have mutual respect. <laughs> 
<laughs> and like you wrote, you say, I'm not sure what the hell that means. Like, <laughs> like, like, it was like such a cheesy Kobe sort of line, but right. because he was the one delivering it and with such authority, damn it, it meant something. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to empty the old noggin uh, before we get out here, guys. And I know I keep going towards the off court stuff. Um, as we've been sitting here, as far as memories go, I, I texted, uh, my dear cousin, Tim. Uh, so Tim is a Southern California based, uh, he started as a film editor, used to work for IMAX and currently works for next VR, the virtual reality company that, that, uh, has a partnership with the NBA. So Tim was with me, uh, the night that I went to Kobe's screening for that muse documentary. And I basically, I had a plus one. And so Tim tagged along and I texted him. I said, Hey, do you remember the time that I tried to get Kobe to hire you as a, a film editor? Because, you know, that night I had kind of jokingly said to Kobe that, Hey, since you're in this space, you know, why don't you meet my cousin, Tim? And it, what was neat, especially cause it was right after he had gotten into the post basketball creative part of his, of his life and his career was that, I didn't, you know, I was thinking for maybe they would chat Tim and Kobe for about five seconds. You know, he was literally hosting hundreds of people that night at this screening. And all of a sudden I'm passing the baton off and introducing the two of them. And they're sitting there talking for damn near, you know, 10, 12 minutes about what they do. And he wants to know about my cousin's thoughts on editing and my cousin's thoughts on, you know, his creative process. And I just found that so interesting that he, the second he took that Jersey off, he inserted himself into the quote unquote real world in terms of trying to humbly learn about all these different things that he was not an expert about. And then to try to become as good at his craft, his second craft as he possibly could. Um, and would also be remiss to not add bill that you and I haven't, you know, haven't kind of connected this dot since he passed, but shoot, we, we had a, a fun time running around the islands of Hawaii together uh, years ago with the sole purpose being, you know, chronicling Kobe's final training camp, which is a, just another memory that, that comes to mind. You know, we went out there, especially with me nationally, it was the only reason to be there was to, to kind of chronicle Kobe's last days uh, in a basketball sense. And obviously just absolutely gut-wrenching that, that uh, you know, we are where we are. But I appreciate you guys uh, going down these roads. This is tough stuff. And hopefully the stuff that we shared is, is different enough that people get something from it. Um, anybody want to chime in here at the end with any final thoughts? Yeah. I mean, the thing that, um, the th I think the thing that I'm having the hardest time with is, is just that he, he, <laughs> I mean, he, he worked so hard in his life to set up himself and his family and his family's family for a generation or two generations monetarily. And when he when he retired, he put his full self, his whole self, into um, being a father. Um, and and obviously, I mean, with all the just the, the way that he had taken to Gigi and and her basketball and and really pouring himself into that. And so, like the crossroads of those two things, like the opulence that he is able to afford, um, being one of the greatest basketball players of all time, coupled with like just sort of this, I mean, unending passion that he was pouring into his children, is it, are the circumstances that created his his death. And I just I can't shake that. I, I it's 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 the thing that it's just it's just the thing I can't get away from. Is that like. Of all the things that could take a that could take you, it was he was flying his daughter and these other you know these families and and their kids to go play a basketball game. So he's he's being courteous, he's using like the luxuries that he earned, and he is like doing this like being this great dad and like and that's how he goes. I just that's yeah that's the thing that's sticking with me right now, guys. Well, and it's relatable and, and it makes it hurt even more that like for my wife, I think that was the thing she kept talking about, you know, the, the, the normalness of it, Joe, is I think what you're hitting on, like, that's something everybody can relate to. Sure. Not the helicopter part, but it was no different than everybody piling into a, a caravan for a basketball tournament or, you know, into a big old minivan. Mm -hmm. And that that's what they were doing. Sure. Great. It was a rich person's version of it. And guess what? It's not a cliche that money doesn't buy happiness. And, and it, you know, at it, at their core, you know, everybody's the same in this regard. And that's the part where, like you said, he was hosting these families. He was 
you know, trying to help these families and, and, and do something with what he had been given and, and for it to, to happen like this and, and to affect so many families is just awful. And then there's the whole thing, the whole thing with, uh, you know, I mean, just because so much was made this week of LeBron and Kobe. And I mean, earlier in the week we were in Boston, Bill and I, and God, they, I mean, there, there was a report that LeBron had taken a helicopter to go see uh, Bronny play in, in Springfield, Massachusetts. And that turned out not to be true, but just, just another thing. And just the weirdness uh, of all this, um, you know, with the, the scoring and then, and the helicopter and whatever, um, you know, thank you to our listeners for hanging in here uh, and hanging with us on tampering uh, for Bill Orem and Sam Amick. I'm Joe Varden. Talk to you next time worried about your own team you're coaching your daughter's I team am. i am they're doing well though i mean they've been playing for like a year and a half you're what's their record uh they don't have seasons it's crazy they just have tournaments like every weekend i see and uh, if they don't win the tournaments do you like do they have to sleep in the yard or anything like that or <laughs> no food for a week <laughs> yeah because if anyone if that anyone would think like that yeah. i would think it would be the mom of yeah. their Natalia, Gianna, and Bianca. You, know, you guys know that you know, if you do the work, you work hard enough, dreams come true. But hopefully what you get from tonight is the understanding that uh, those times when you get up early and you work hard, those times when you stay up late and you work hard, those times when you don't feel like working, you're too tired, you don't want to push yourself, but you do it anyway, that is actually the dream. That's the dream. It's not the destination, it's the journey. If you guys, if you guys can understand that, then what you'll see happen is that you won't accomplish your dreams. Your dreams won't come true. Um, something greater will. And uh, if you guys can understand that, then I'm doing my job as a father. Thank you guys so much. I love you. And, uh, Mamba out.